Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Anyway, we're having a good time together. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. And to me, the greatest blessings of Thanksgiving is the gift of Jesus. What an awesome gift. People ask me, where were you born? I say, I was born in the Bible lands. What, what, what good thing could ever come out of the Bible lands? And I remind them, oh, by the way, Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful gift from that part of the world? And then the second gift is the promise of the Father. What the group sang about, breathe on me, breath of God, Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. And the title of the message for the second service is Driven by the Spirit. And the question I want to ask you, what drives your life? What motivates you? What makes you tick? Is it, uh, is it fame? Is it popularity? Is it riches, possessions, academia, writing books? What is it that drives you every day? And some people are preoccupied with position. Or oh, they want to have a high position. You know, many people want to be president of the United States. I think anybody who wants to be president of the United States to solve our problems, there must be something missing somewhere. Wow, only Jesus coming can solve our problems. And you know, with this uh, obsession with position, it never ends. You know, I was talking to a pastor recently. He said, you know, Dr. Saman, I've been, I was your student, but I didn't advance very far, he said. I didn't advance. You see, I've been pastoring this little church for nine years, and nobody thought in the conference to raise me higher to a higher position, to a bigger church, so I really feel like a failure. Oh, my. And people who get a bigger church want to go to the conference office. And after that, maybe they want to be president. But that's not even enough. I mean, nothing is enough. No position is high enough. And they aspire to go to the union, division, general conference. And even with that, is that a high enough position? What drives our lives? Jesus' life was driven by the Spirit. Philip's life was driven by the Spirit. And then... I was asked to speak at the general conference, one of the sermons at the GC session. I mean, that's kind of heady, isn't it? To preach, not at College Dale Church here, at the general conference session. Oh my, I felt like, I, I felt like I was important <laughs> for a little bit. And I got my sermon ready about radical discipleship, and then I didn't have an introduction. I always like to have a good introduction. And I didn't have any. And I began, to, uh, I began to roam around the hallway of the GC big amphitheater. And I found my introduction. You know how? Because I met some of my friends who work at the general conference. I, I used to work there, by the way. 
I used to have a high position. Now I have a lowly position. <laughs> Just being a teacher. But you know something? The highest position in life is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Amen. Oh, if we believe that, we're very secure in Jesus. So anyway, I began to talk, loiter around the hallway, and began to meet some of my old friends. Hey, why are you so happy? Oh, I'm happy because haven't you noticed that I was promoted to a higher position? And I met somebody else who looked depressed. Why are, you, why are you sad? Because haven't you noticed on the screen that I was demoted to a lower position? I met somebody else. He said, my name is not on the screen. I wasn't considered at all. I was totally ignored. I said, what shall we do now? What, how are you going to carry on? He said, I guess I have to be a pastor. <laughs> I just have just such a low position being a pastor. I didn't mean you, by the way. It's just, it's just, you know, like I'm just a pastor. They sent me to the pastor. But someday I'll work harder, and maybe someday they'll take me back. Wow. What drives our lives? Jesus' life was driven by the Spirit. And though I got my introduction, perfect introduction, I stood up. I said, fellow believers from around the world, I know some of you are elated and happy. Some of you are not as happy. It has to do with position. And, and I just want to assure you, from the statement from Thoughts of Mount Blessings, page 15, he says, we're always restless to elbow ourselves and to notice. We're always restless to show that we are important, we have a high position. But she said, and I said this to everybody, to encourage everybody, because some of them were too excited and some of them were too sad. And I said this to them from the inspired council. But when we sit at the feet of Jesus, we have reached the highest position in life. Praise the Lord. I tell you, if everyone believes that, we'll be happy and secure. The highest position we can reach is to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn to be like Jesus. Oh, by the way, I have the good news, and I hope you have the good news with me. I don't have to struggle anymore to push myself up the corporate ladder. I'm retired anyway. But even decades before that, why? Because I already reached the highest position in life. It gives you security, boldness, and courage. You don't have to be restless about, oh, will anybody promote? Jesus already promoted us. There is no higher promotion. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Learn from Jesus, and you have reached the highest position in life. When we reach a highest position in life, it leads, a sequel to that is we reach the greatest recognition. We all want to be recognized. Uh, what drives us? Is it to be recognized for something special? I mean, should I be obsessed with being such a good lecturer in my class, a good speaker? Should that be the motivation propelling me forward? What is the greatest recognition we can have in life? What is it? I mean, like, I don't have a lot to be recognized. I'm not 
tall, I don't have hair, I'm getting older. If I were to think about recognition, I'd become depressed, my brother, you know what I mean? So the greatest recognition is what we find in the book of Acts, that the disciples of Christ were recognized for having been with Jesus. Take away my doctor, take away my books, take away my accomplishments. But leave me with this one recognition. That I have been with Jesus. Relax, smile, have the peace of God in your heart. This is it. This is the best that can ever happen. So the title of the sermon, as you can tell, Driven by the Spirit. And then, in the early service with different message, we talked about how we can answer Jesus' prayer request. By the way, Jesus has prayer requests. Somebody told me, really? We're the only one who have prayer requests. No, he has prayer requests. He prayed for his disciples to be one. And he prayed when he saw the harassed multitude. He prayed, Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers. Hmm. So every day, as I live my life, I don't care if I'm retired, working full-time, traveling anywhere on this planet. I pray, Lord, I want to answer the prayer request of Jesus' heart. I want to be a laborer. And you know what happens after that? The floodgates open, and God provides uh, what I call serendipitous experience, pleasant and expected surprises. He pulls something up his sleeve and pleasantly surprises to let us know he is real. He's a real God. And so uh, this is what happens. You know, first of all, we pray in faith. Three things about prayer, by the way. It's not enough to just pray. Are you taking notes? Of course. Are you my student? Always, yes. Oh, wow. It's good to see you. Thank you so much. And uh, your wife is taking notes. <laughs> what about you, sir? What's up here? Wow. So the first point, please write it down. Pray. The first thing, pray in faith. I know. Okay. She's my student. I, okay. I have memory. <laughs> I remember the names of my students. Are you Jim Moon? Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Now then. So some people specialize in prayer. I pray. What else do you do after that? Nothing. I just pray. No. Point number two. Write it down. Because he's not writing any notes down. The second point is live out your prayer. Live it out. If you're really praying in genuine faith, you will propel to live it out. Are you still with me? Third point. Third point. I got it. Place yourself where God can bless you. Isn't that good? Place yourself where God can bless you. Be propelled by the Spirit. Let the Spirit drive you and place you where you need to be. I'm just waiting for you to finish. I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> uh, she's an A student, isn't she? Yes, what about you? Are you an A student? No, this way. <laughs> it's so good to marry up to smart women. <laughs> just like me, you know. I married to a smart woman for f 50 years. Give you an example. 
give you an example here. Uh, I'll tell you an experience uh, from campus, an experience from off campus, an experience from far away. I want to punctuate my, ser my sermon with experiences to help you relate to what I'm saying, to make it real in your life. So here at the beginning of this semester, one school year, I ate with the students. What a wonderful chance to meet students, eat with them. And I served food in the cafeteria for f 15 years. And then they gave me after that the pink slip because they decided not to serve food anymore. Let the students serve themselves. But I met thousands of students. Gave me the chance to interact with them. So then I start eating every lunch with the students in the cafeteria. It was the beginning of the semester, and it was the first week. And again, I prayed in faith in my office. I'm trying to make it real. It doesn't have to be your office. It could be in your home, wherever you are. Pray in faith. And then... Live out your prayer. So I got off my knees and I began to walk outside. And the third point, the third point is place yourself. Place yourself where God can have the chance to bless you, where the Holy Spirit can drive you, can propel you forward. So I went to the cafeteria placing myself among people. We need to interact with our students. Like Ellen White said, she said, Christian education is more, more than dispensing good information. It is the investment of our lives in our young people. It's life that begets life, like Jesus. And so anyway, I sat among students, right, where the flag, you could see the flag outside, the, the, the other side of the dining room. And as I was visiting with 12 students, the Spirit of God propelled me, motivated me. The Spirit of God uh, drove me to look towards students coming out with their trace. And there was this young, Spanish-looking young lady, petite, and I don't know what drove me to try to attract her attention, waving at her. And finally, she, she, she saw my hand, and I beckoned her to come to see us, to come and sit with us. Now, I can't explain why I do that. I don't normally do that. And she came and sat, and I wondered, why, and why, why did I do that for? But the Holy Spirit knew. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing, even when we don't know. And he lets us know, enlightens us along the journey. So she sat there. As a freshman, her first week, that was on Thursday. And, uh, and she said, I'd like to ask you a question. I've been looking for Dr. Saman all week. I cannot find him anywhere. Now, she was, she was sitting next to me, by the way, and, and she said, would somebody tell me how I can find him? And the teaser said, we don't know. He's very busy. You know, he, he has, you know, big schedule and all of that, so we're not sure. He said, well, please help me find him because my dad knows Dr. Saman. He was Dr. Saman's student, and, and he told me, 
as a freshman, 18 years old, beginning my college career. He said, before, too many days passed by, you got to meet Dr. Saman to help you connect with Jesus because Jesus is your best mentor, best advisor, and you're heading toward big decisions. And one of the decisions is to date somebody. That's a big decision. I, I decided, my wife and I, to date. In our freshman year, we date four years. That's a big decision. Committing herself to me with all my imperfections for 50 years so far, that's a big decision. Find Dr. Samad to help you right away connect with Jesus. And I didn't have to keep her in suspense, and I feel like, you know, I shouldn't join them in giving her a hard time, this poor freshman. And I look at her. I look at her. <laughs> and I said, the man you're speaking to is Dr. Saman. No, you, no, you're not. She said, you ain't, but I'm saying here. You're not. I said, I am. No, you're not. She wouldn't believe me. And the other kids were giggling, you know. But I am Dr. Saman sitting next to you. No, you're not. Why not? Because the way my father talked about you, in my mind, I thought you were, first of all, tall, dark, and handsome, but you ain't any of that. <laughs> I almost told her, please hit me again. <laughs> so encouraging. So she won't believe me. Some folks don't believe unless they see evidence. So I pulled out my faculty ID card. <laughs> I gave it to her. She looked at the card. She looked at me. She looked at the card. She said, it's you. I said, I told you, it's me. <laughs> and she said, you an answer to prayer. And so we went to my office, spent 40 minutes, and by the time we finished visiting and sharing prompts from the Bible, she left my office a born-again Christian. Even though we have 70 Adventist young people, even though they might have been baptized, they need to be born again. What drives our lives? And, you know, here I, I checked in the Gospel of Matthew, and Luke, and the verb they use about Jesus after his baptism, they don't use the verb driven. They use led or propelled. But you know who uses? Who, who is, which is the muscular gospel among all the four gospels? Which is the one you call muscular God, muscular, you know? Mark, exactly, a man of action. Look at his shortest gospel. Why? Because he, he focused on action, miracles, exciting events. He didn't spend much time teaching like Matthew. So the verb he chose in Greek, original language of the New Testament, driven. I like that. Powerful, muscular. We are driven. And it reminds me by the way, we drive a Toyota car. Uh, how many here drive Toyotas? Raise your hand, please. 
Don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand. It's, it's a good car. <laughs> and you know the slogan for that, the commercial? Actually, there are two of them. But where do you remember the first one? You drive, you don't drive a Toyota. Okay, I know. I know. Anybody here would like to volunteer the commercial? It fits right in my sermon. You know that? You don't? My A student, do you know? I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, that's okay. <laughs> you know what it is? It is, we are driven. What do you think Toyota Company meant by that slogan? We are driven. We are here for business. We are made to be driven. We're a good car. And the second commercial they came up with, it fits. It's like a sequel to the first one. And we go places. Ah, we go places. Doesn't matter what place, rough terrain, windy, rainy. We go places. And that fits so much our mission. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit at his baptism and he was driven by the Spirit to wilderness. Therefore, in his life, he was driven and he went places to launch his public ministry. Does the Holy Spirit propel us forward? Does he drive us, the very core of our being? And do we go places with him? You know, uh, there is an intimate connection between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Very close connection. They work in cooperation with each other. And the Bible is very evident in this area, even in the Old Testament. And I look at the, at the book of Zechariah. We read in the Inspired Council that we are to read chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Zechariah. Read them, three things understand them, and live them out. Why? Why the focus on the three, chapter 3 and 4 of Zechariah? Uh, I did a lot of research on that. Actually, my doctoral dissertation was about theology of Zechariah. It's a wonderful book, not to be ignored, but to be read, because it brings Daniel and John the Revelator together. It's a very Advent book. It's very much into Christ and his three comings even after the millennium. But anyway, why three and four? Because three is about the salvation of Jesus, saving us to the uttermost. It's all about that. It's the vision of Joshua, the high priest, and how he was covered with Christ's righteousness. And then he was told, if you walk with me in this world, you will walk with me in heaven. Salvation to the uttermost, the past, the present, the future, from guilt unto glory. 
And what's chapter 4 about? It's about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why they should be studied and applied and understood and lived out together. Jesus launches salvation to the uttermost. In chapter 4, the Holy Spirit applies it into our lives. And what else? Oh, look at the four Gospels. The three synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John, what are they about? It's about the acts of Jesus. That's all. What about the book of Acts? The acts of the apostles. In reality, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit because with the Holy Spirit driving the disciples, there would have been no acts. So Jesus in the four Gospels, the main character, the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And you know, um, I used to um, shy away from the Holy Spirit. I felt more cozy with Jesus. You feel that way? Especially when I came to this country, uh, they use the words ghost. You know, in my part of the world, there's a lot of superstition about ghosts. <laughs> yeah, ghosts floating around, harassing people. And here I come to this country, and it's now the Holy Ghost. And by the way, ghost is not in the Bible. It's, at least it's not in the Greek. You know, Ruah, spirit. Holy Spirit is better, I think, because we don't believe in ghosts. And you know, I, uh, I went to a camp meeting where the main speaker every evening used that theme, Oh, come Holy Spirit, exclamation mark. Every sermon, he was cautioning us not to, go, not to get the wrong spirit, not to be involved in this uh, gibberish, or, or, or not, not, not to abuse the gift. Every sermon was about cautioning us. He had no time to tell us how to get the right genuine spirit. Why are we afraid of the Holy Spirit? By the way, Jesus said, I'll send somebody just like me. And the word is paracletus, which means somebody who sits next to you with his arm around you for the purpose of comforting you. Why don't we feel comfortable with the comforter? He's like Jesus. Like Philip asked Jesus, show us the Father and everything will be okay. He said, you've been with me so long and you don't know. The one who's seen me has seen the Father. I wish and pray we believe that. If we see Jesus, you've seen the Father. Why? Because they're very similar. If you've seen me, you have seen the Holy Spirit. He's like me. He's another comforter like me. Anyway, uh, tell you another experience about being propelled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's not from this campus. It's as I drive in my ministry. My wife was tired that weekend and I was driving by myself to Chicago to conduct a seminar. Again, I don't care where I am because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through whole, throughout the whole earth, wherever we are. Driving to Chicago on the freeway, she told me when you get sleepy, stop. 
promise me. And I promised. I saw I got sleeping. And I stopped. And I noticed there was a gas station. Again, never been there before. The highway to Chicago. And as I drove to the gas station, uh, there was a big Costco store. Are you familiar with Costco? Anybody shops at Costco? It's a nice place. And you save money. But also, once in a while, they have free food. <laughs> like, they have free samples. This is a real experience. I mean, how the Holy Spirit drives us to the right places. And so I said, you know, I fed my car gas, and now I need to feed myself. So I walked to the store, and there was all these tables with sample foods. The first one were samples of pork. It, it wasn't just meat. It was pork. And I, I, I'm not just a vegetarian. I'm also a, what do you call it, a vegan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, normally I would mind my own business and move forward to find something else. But the Holy Spirit convict my heart. Don't leave yet. I need you. Wow. Holy Spirit drives us to something we never had in mind. He gives us the right words to say we never imagined of saying. And not only that, the Lord said all authority here where we are on the earth and also in heaven. That's a lot of authority. I, I, I feel like telling him, if you give me the authority in all this world, it's good enough. He said, no, all authority in heaven. That's a lot of encouragement and affirmation and power. And so I just lingered around and, and I felt impressed. You would think it's crazy. He felt impressed to talk to this lady serving at that booth. I said, and very busy. A lot of people love pork. You know, a lot of people, and she was supplying with more samples. <laughs> Eat to your content. And I said, ma'am, excuse me. She said, move on. She said, move on. I said, no, I got to tell you something. She said, look, I'm only serving pork. You have nothing to tell me. I said, no, I have something to tell you. Ma'am, I'm so sorry I cannot eat your pork. You know why? <laughs> she said, no, I have no idea. I said, let me tell you why. Because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and I'm a vegetarian. I mean, I thought it's crazy. But the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Would somebody say amen to that? He knows what he's doing when we don't know what we're doing. And so she said, what did you say? <laughs> I said, repeat yourself. So I said, I cannot eat pork because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And you know, that's the last thing I do in witnessing. You know, I wrote a book called Christ's Method of Witnessing. You, you have to mingle with people. You have to be friends. This was really just hard witness. She said, I want to talk to you. Really? Why? <laughs> I'll tell you why. <laughs> and so she asked somebody to take her place, and she took me to a side room. She said, I can't believe it. I've been praying for a few months about meeting a Seventh-day Adventist Christian because the Adventist family that was studying with us the Bible left to another town, and I'm looking. I've been praying for a Seventh-day Adventist. Sir, would you please come and finish the Bible studies and get us ready for baptism? She thought I was local, <laughs> but I was a traveler. I said, ma'am, I don't live here. 
Where do you live? Like 50 miles? No, no, I live around Chateau. Oh, that's hundreds of miles away. I said, uh, I know, I wish I could help you. Oh, please help me. We want to continue our Bible study to get ready for baptism. So I said, let's Google. Who is the nearest Adventist pastor in this town? He was, he was about 35, 40 miles away. He answered his phone. Isn't that nice when pastors answer their phone? I mean, like you call and they answer. Some people um, have other functions of cell phone, and that is just to call if they need to. But I think pastors should answer their telephone. Not always, but, you know, people should have hope that they'll have some answer. Just like the example of my good student, a student, Jim Moon. Whenever I call him, he answers. And I say, instead of telling him what I'm calling, he said, by the way, I really want to thank you for answering your phone. He said, what do you mean? I said, you answered your phone? He said, yes. I said, but it's special that you answer the phone. I don't have to have phone tags and text messaging and emailing and wait for two, three weeks. I got the response right this minute. So the pastor answered, and it turned out and be known to me that he was a student of mine from the seminary days. And he believed in witnessing Bible studies. And I told him what was happening. He said, I'll be there. It's urgent. This is the, the iron is hot. It's urgent. I'm coming to see you right now. He said, I was supposed to shop uh, for this and play racquetball. He said, this is all secondary. Oh, I wish all of us would feel that it's urgent we reach people to be saved because hell is awaiting and eternal life is there. We need to be spiritual firefighters to rescue people from certain death. So he arrived there. I introduced him to this lady. They made the connection. And he started giving Bible studies to her husband, her two teenage sons, four people. And after a while, they all baptized. Now, I had no idea that was going to happen. Don't give me credit. It was the Holy Spirit that propelled me to stop at that particular place and go to Costco. It was the Holy Spirit who gave me the words. Because let me tell you something. I'm not crazy. I would never talk to somebody like that. I'm sorry, I cannot eat your pork. No, leave them alone. Leave them in peace. No, I want to trouble them. So the Holy Spirit was troubling my heart. And I said, I want to tell you why I can't accept your gift of pork. She said, move on, sir. I'm busy. I said, no, I have to tell you because I'm a seventh day That's exactly the words she needed to hear. Anyway, so... Uh, to let you know how some people are uncomfortable, I, uh, I sent a sermon title uh, where I was going to preach in San Francisco, and my theme was how to prepare for the infilling of the latter rain. That's what we are waiting, right? And let me make the statement here. We must be ready for the second coming of the Holy Spirit as we get ready for the second coming of Jesus. We are to be sealed by the outpouring of the latter rain before we're ready to meet Jesus. And what does the sealing do for us? It settles us in Christ and his truth that we cannot be moved. 
That must happen before Christ comes the second time. Uh, think of it this way. There are two comings for Jesus and two comings for the Holy Spirit. Uh, and think of the two comings of Jesus in Bethlehem, then what we are waiting, sandwiching between them, the two comings of the Holy Spirit. First, in the form of the early rain, to germinate, germinate the seed. And then, now, we are waiting for the second coming of the Holy Spirit to prepare the harvest, to mature the harvest. Isn't that interesting how they're intimately connected? First coming of Jesus, first coming of the Holy Spirit in the form of the early rain. Second coming of the Holy Spirit in the form of the latter rain, and then the second coming of Jesus. Beautiful how they cooperate together, like the Gospels and the book of Acts. But anyway, so I send the bulletin information with the sermon title, Preparing for the Second Coming of the Holy Spirit. I, I just want to have an intriguing title, you know, instead of saying, you know, the early, latter rain, all of that. Preparing, we need to prepare for the second coming of the Holy Spirit in the form of latter rain. And when I got there, uh, my title was changed. Like, I'm glad you didn't change my title. It's good. I don't think you should change the pastor's title unless you check with them first. But they were so sure I made a mistake. How can I make a mistake? I'm a theology professor, I think. Hope I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I smiled and I said, by the way, uh, I'd love to talk about the second coming of Jesus, but my intent is to talk about the second coming of the Holy Spirit. Really? We thought you made a mistake. Uh, what do you mean by that? I said, I mean by that is there is a second coming of the Holy Spirit in the form of latter rain. He said, really? I never thought of it that way. Excuse me? Think about it that way. There will be a second coming of the Holy Spirit in the form of the latter rain. To prepare us and to seal us for the second coming of Jesus. So then he had to stand up before, as he was introduced, he said, I'm so sorry, I apologize, I changed the, the guest speaker's title. He means to talk about the second coming of the Holy Spirit. There'll be a second coming, I just learned about it. And so, instead of explaining the change, he, he made the change. So I start talking about the second coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, by the way, Philip, the evangelist, followed the example of Jesus. He was driven by the Holy Spirit and went places. Jesus went to the wilderness, and Philip went to the wilderness on the way of Gaza. Both were driven, and Philip was emulating the example of his master, and they both went places to the wilderness, and with Philip, to the wilderness by the way of Gaza. He had no idea why he was driven in one places, but then he encountered this Ethiopian in his chariot, a divine appointment. He was driven by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about how, when, where. Just open yourself to the Holy Spirit. He'll drive you. He'll propel you. He'll thrust you forward. And uh, 
That's my name. Philip Sa-a-man. You know, you never changed from the time you were a kid, 19, 20. You always try to talk to me and remind you of things. I appreciate that. And what you said to the introduction remind me of many things I forgot. You have such good memory. You know, I, I remember, but not as sharp as he does. Your students do better than you. So anyway, Philip, by the way, Philip in the Bible is spelled with one L, right? How many here are named Philip? Hmm. Please, please make up a name for yourself right now. There is nobody who has the same name as me. I feel so special. My name is not common, but most people spell it with double L. I like to be biblical. I spell it with one L. Even when I send my U.S. passport to the State Department to be renewed, they change my spelling and put double L. And when I called them one time, I was curious. They said, yeah, you spelled it. You typed it, one L, but we thought you made a mistake, sir. So they changed my name. <laughs> so I like to be biblical and spell it like the Bible way. Anyway, Philip followed the example of Jesus and met that Ethiopian and uh, uh, time is flying by, and I just want to come to a conclusion. You know, I leave the other notes till when I come back to this church, when I get to be 80 years old, because <laughs> every seven years I get invited, you know. Oh, Christ will come before I get to be 80. You know something? Then we all sit down at the feet of Jesus, and he'll be our speaker forever. Anyway, so my parents named me Philip because they really prayed and wanted, intended with all their hearts for me to become an evangelist. Because in my part of the world, you know, names signify something. So they taught me as a child, we prayed for you to be an evangelist. Okay. So, I found myself witnessing to my Muslim classmates even at the age of six. I had an early start. I just felt propelled to do that. I couldn't help it. It was in my blood. It was my spiritual DNA. What great news do we have? We need to share it. And then here I came to the States, and the Lord expanded my ministry, traveled everywhere, and then I was invited to go to Hawaii to speak at camp meeting. It was wonderful. Have you been to Hawaii? It's like so beautiful. And as a part of the United States, we have the most beautiful territory in the world. I said, Lord, please, please inspire them to invite me again to other islands. And the Lord answered my prayers in a big way and I was invited to all the islands to speak. And by the way, as a speaker, you get everything taken care of. Things are very expensive there, hotels. Oh, you know, I just toured the islands at different times free of charge. Praise God for his abundant blessings. So when the second call came, 
They said, Dr. Saman, we appreciated your first visit. Now, some other island wants to have you to speak at their camp meeting. What do you say? Do you need to think about it? I said, no. I already thought about it. I already prayed about it. And the Lord impressed me to say yes. One day, four times. The last time, I was flying all the way from Manululu to the mainland to Los Angeles. I had another appointment to speak at another camp meeting, and I rented a car, a very small car, to save the church money, risking my life in a big city. I was tired on the plane. I couldn't sleep much. And now, early in the morning, I was to go and pick my car to the rental place close to the airport. And there were six Asians for car rentals and I look at somebody, I said, Your Lord, I'm tired. I don't think I want to uh, deal with this man. He doesn't look very friendly. And so I tried to avoid him. And lo and behold, the Holy Spirit propelled me. I was driven by the Spirit to go and talk to this particular Asian I was trying to avoid. What God thinks is different than what we think. He knows what he's doing. He knows the end from beginning. And though I was tired, I prayed on the plane, Lord, I'm a laborer. Please lead me to someone. Drive me to talk to somebody, even though I'm tired. And so I came forward. He said, sir, what's your name? It's my name. You reserve this car? Yes. And do you have any, do you carry insurance on you? Now, let me say this. I don't know why. God changed what I want to say. I was just going to tell you, yeah, I'm sure by the university where I teach. Very, very simple. University, I could have even said Southern University. But no, the Holy Spirit impressed me to say something different. This is what I said. It wasn't from me. It was from the Holy Spirit. And I said to him, yes, I'm insured because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. You are? I am. Really? Really? Say that again. I am a pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Sir, I want to talk to you. It reminds me of this woman serving pork at Costco. This wasn't Costco. This was the airport in Los Angeles. But the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth no matter where you are. Why? To show himself strong in our behalf. If we fully trust in him, he took me aside, wanted to talk to me. He said, you know, years ago when I was a child, my parents, my sisters, my brothers, my uncles, my aunts, we all immigrated from Ethiopia. But in Ethiopia, we were Seventh-day Adventists. And, and we got caught up in and making money. Oh, America has many blessings, but sometimes the blessings can take us away from the blesser. In that case, it was true. They lived a secular life, world life, forgot about God and the church, and their spiritual roots. And now this young man, in his late 20s, he got engaged to an Ethiopian young lady. Said they're planning to have children, and he said, you know something? Something is missing in my life. I was raised in Sabbath school in Ethiopia, and I want my kids to be raised in Sabbath school. But I'm so far away from God, I know no Adventists. I don't know how to go about it. Lord, if it's your will, 
please help me to bump into a Seventh-day Adventist. Let it be a miracle. And he, when I said Seventh-day Adventist, by the Holy Spirit propelled me to say that at that particular place. He said, I want to talk to you. You will answer to prayer. Excuse me, it's not safe to drive the small car. And he gave me a big car, very big. Gave me a Cadillac. I said, sir, I'm a small guy. This is too big for me. So he found me a nice medium-sized car, safer. And he said, now, let's talk about spiritual business. He said, when I was in Ethiopia as a child, my favorite Bible story in Sabbath school was the story of Philip, the evangelist, and the Ethiopian who was looking for salvation. Sir, you're modern day Philip the evangelist. I'm not in my chariot, but I'm at this airport. And you came to me not running, but on a jumbo jet. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit connects people and circumstances, and things click together miraculously. And I'm the Ethiopian searching for God. Spent a few minutes together, and he went to give his life to the Lord and to raise his kids in the church, a sign from God. God is always eager to have us come back home. No matter how far we wander away, we pray together, and he invited Christ into his life and became a born-again Christian. My friends, in conclusion here, I want to appeal to your hearts Are you being driven by all kinds of forces? What drives you? What drives me today? I appeal to your hearts and my heart to be driven by the Holy Spirit and to go places with the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is the best friend of Jesus. He is like Jesus. And Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. But he wants the Holy Spirit to empower us to do ministry, to do evangelism, to reach out to people. And by the way, when the Holy Spirit falls upon us, he will empower us to do greater things. What I'm sharing with you is just little stuff. You know, we pray for people to be healed. Sometimes they are, sometimes they are not. I pray for sick people, and you know, sometimes, for some reason, we don't get healed, but sometimes they get healed, and I get so excited when people are healed from cancer or from deadly disease. But you know something? When we prepare our hearts for the second coming of the Holy Spirit to seal us, that He will thrust us, He will drive us into the biggest evangelistic campaign in the world, the final warning message. It will be so exciting, and I appeal to you to be a part of it, and now is the time to prepare. Let me just read you something here that I brought with me, and it's, it is the hope I have. Look at it. It comes from uh, a great controversy, page 612. Look at this. 
what's awaiting us is exciting. My story about my student, my story at Costco store, my story about Philip and the Ethiopian at the airport in Los Angeles fades into nothing compared to what's going to happen to us. Are we ready for that? We need to be ready for that. Look at this. I'll read that and I'll pray. Servants of God, you and me, with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration, will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven by thousands of voices all over the earth the warning will be given miracles will be wrought the sick will be healed and signs and wonders will follow the believers the message will be carried not so much by argument as by the deep conviction of the holy spirit let's be ready for this it's the most exciting time to live. I know there are problems in this world, but we have great things ahead of us. The greatest days are still ahead of us. The outpouring of the lottery to empower us to touch the sick and they'll be healed. You got cancer, touch you in the spirit of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, you heal. That's what it says. That's what I want to be ready for and I want you to be ready for. Let's bow our heads with our eyes closed, God seeing us. Please, respond to this call. Are you convicted in your heart to open the door for the Holy Spirit to drive you? To take you after, to, to, to drive you out of your safety zone, security blankets, and thrust you? He knows what he's doing, trust him. Let him not only comfort you, but empower you to be moved by the authority of all of heaven, to change the world, to change people's lives. What an exciting assignment to help people be saved in these last days. Nothing more important than that. <laughs> we need, not because it's my name, but we need modern-day Phillips. Because there are many Ethiopians out there looking for salvation. Please, Lord, by raising of our hands right now and our hearts, you see our hands and hearts, we want to be what you made us to be. Please empower us by the Holy Spirit. May self be crucified and may the Savior be uplifted. When he's uplifted, he'll draw all people unto himself. We give you all the honor and glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen.